Christmas. Santa's coming. <laughs> yeah, some of you are really excited. I get it. It's good. Well, happy, uh, Merry Christmas. I was going to say happy Thanksgiving, but that's in the rearview mirror at this point. How many of you had a good Thanksgiving? How many of you ate too much turkey? Too much kind of pumpkin pie? Not enough. Not enough. There you go. I know we have leftovers for days at our house. You know. How many of you started watching? Christmas movies. Now listen, how many of you are, you know, you're disciplined about Christmas? You know, like you, you wait till Thanksgiving's done and then Christmas can start. How many of you live in that camp? All right, that's good. How many of you are totally rebellious, living in sin, start Christmas before Thanksgiving? Oh, there you go. They're the passionate ones right there. It's like Mac users versus Apple users. I get it. I get it. That's awesome. Well, listen, we are starting a, a series as we approach Christmas together, and uh, we, uh, we're going to kind of just enter into a little four-week series uh, where we really look at uh, kind of some things that I think are really significant for us during the Christmas season. Now, you know, Christmas is a season of anticipation, isn't it? I mean, if you are a parent or grandparent, you know you've got kids that are anticipating what Santa's going to leave under the tree, right? And uh, there's kind of this growing list. It used to be that they wrote a letter to Santa. Now they just have an Amazon wish list, right? Because that's where Santa does all of his shopping, right? But, you know, you might be, uh, you know, parents, grandparents, and you've got family that are going to come into town. That's the camp that I fall in this year. My kids are coming back from the East Coast. Hopefully, my parents are making it in from Ireland with all these variants that are happening. I'm praying that the, that the borders don't close. My parents come in, and I'm just filled with anticipation. It might be for you that, man, there's an anticipation of Christmas parties and gatherings and kind of too many Christmas cookies and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it might be that you're anticipating a Christmas bonus. Well, maybe. Just a little word of advice. Don't be like Clark Griswold and spend it before you get it, you know, no, no building pools in your backyard, okay? But, but Christmas is a season of anticipation, isn't it? It's a season when we anticipate. There's just something magical in the air. There's something that we're kind of hopeful for, something that we're looking towards. You know, and it might actually be that for some, and I just need to acknowledge that, you know, for some, it might not be anticipation of good things. It might be that you're a little anxious, uh, a little worried, a little concerned, because, man, this Christmas is going to be different than previous Christmases. Maybe there's been some loss. Maybe there's been kind of a, a job and some change in your income, and you're just kind of wondering, man, how do I anticipate those kinds of things? But, but with anticipation, I think, comes an expectation. And I think as followers of Jesus Christ, regardless of whether we've had a good year or a bad year, we can anticipate something beautiful 
during the Christmas season. And really, that's what this series is about. In fact, on the church calendar, um, this season of the year is called Advent. And Advent is simply this expectation, this anticipation, this reflection upon the coming of Jesus Christ for the second time in light of the fact that he came the first time to rescue us from our sin. And so it's a season of us anticipating together what God might be up to. And, And really a time of reflection and preparation for Christmas and all that Christmas delivers to us as believers. And man, we can live with kind of anticipation and expectation that there's some good things. Now, you know, over the last 18 months or so, you know, we've not lived through the easiest or best times. Man, collectively, it's been a difficult time for our society. So many unexpected things that have kind of come our direction over the last two years. And you might actually, you know, kind of sit and begin to reflect upon Christmas and wonder, well, man, is Christmas, is the Christmas story even relevant for a year like 2021? Or when I consider the last year, two years, man, is it really relevant? Does Christmas have something to offer me? Does Christmas have some sort of relevance to the world in which I live in? Well, I happen to believe, and this church happens to believe, that actually the answer to that question is a big, bold yes. Because Jesus, the Son of God, comes to dwell with his people during the Christmas season. And I don't think that there's any better news for the world in which we live in. And so as we just kind of approach this season, we want to take a look at some of the longings, some of the deep yearnings that exist within the human heart, like things beneath the surface, things that we all yearn for, we all long for, we all would care for or hope for, because there are things that go beneath the surface for each one of us. And it's those things, things like hope, things like peace, love, joy that the human soul yearns for. And that's what the Christmas season is all about. Christmas provides us answers to those kinds of longings. And we can anticipate something beautiful, something good through the Christmas season. And so that's what we're doing over the next four weeks. We're going to take hope, peace, love, and joy, those longings and yearnings that every human being, regardless of whether you follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus, we all hope and long for these things. In fact, we want it to be a journey that we actually go on together as a church family. And so not just on a Sunday morning, but we've actually created a resource on our website where you can go download. We've curated some resources. Maybe you want to purchase some stuff. There's some free stuff on there that really would be a good journey for you as an individual, for you as a family, maybe for you as a small group to take the Advent season and to allow the story of Christmas to prepare our hearts for Christmas. And so we want to do that as a family over the next few weeks. So the first thing that I want us to kind of take a look at is this idea of hope. Now, there's not one of us in this room that doesn't need hope. In fact, if I could say it this way, we need hope to cope. You like that? I worked really hard on that. I mean, I was expecting a, whoa, that's a heavy revy right there. But there's not one of us in this room that does not need hope. In fact, Hope is something that the human soul desperately needs, desperately desires. Hope is something that all of us yearn for. It's, a, it's a, something that's needed by every single human being. In fact, uh, psychology today actually said it this way, and I thought it was such a powerful statement. It says that hope creates the possibility of something better. And there's something inside each one of us 
whether it's for you personally or collectively for us as a society or a culture, that man, we are hoping for the possibility that something better is around the corner. That even though things maybe have been good, there are bad times, there are difficult times, there are challenging times, and even the good times in our life don't quite get us to where our soul really wants to live. But God says, and, 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 and the human soul needs this idea, this possibility of something better. And it's the thing that causes every single one of us to need hope. We, we've kind of been, I've already said it, but we've kind of been through a season of kind of collective hopelessness. You know, if you remember back to when COVID started, you know, and I remember because it was March 17th, I was supposed to be on a plane to go back to Ireland. That just sounds like a good day to go back to Ireland, doesn't it? St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, I'm about to get on a plane and everything shuts down. And I don't know if you remember back to the emotions, and some, some of us have maybe had some of those emotions at different times, at different heights throughout the last season, but there was a kind of this collective sense of hopelessness after about two, three, four weeks, right? Like, will this thing ever change? Will it ever get back to normal? And there's this kind of hope that you, we collectively, or hopelessness, that we kind of collectively experienced as a society. We need hope. You need hope. I need hope. We together need hope. And the reality is that every single one of us places our hope in something. We all lean our hope in something or someone. You know, I was, I was starting to watch some of the Christmas movies. You know, we watched one or two over the little break. And, uh, and uh, I was thinking about how Christmas movies, even Christmas movies, are filled with hope, aren't they? I mean, think about it for a second. Elf is hoping he can find his real dad, right? Is Elf, is that a good movie? Do you, like, you guys like Elf? That's a good movie, right? And then you had, you, had, um, you had Ralphie Parker. What was Ralphie Parker hoping for? A Red Rider BB gun. You guys are almost right. What he was actually hoping for was the official Red Rider carbon action 200-shot model air rifle with a compass in the stock and the things that tell time on it. He's hoping for something, isn't he? Right? And then there's that classic Christmas movie, Die Hard. <laughs> and John McClane, what's John McClane hoping for? He's hoping that this, his estranged relationship with his wife is going to be restored, right? And then there's that classic. Some of you in the room, man, it's a Christmas tradition. Uh, you've got George Bailey, Bedford Falls, Wonderful Life. Come on, that's a classic, isn't it? And, and what are they hoping for? Kindness, generosity, peace on earth, right? Christmas season is filled with hope. And all those Christmas movies, they're all seeking hope. They're all placing hope and striving after hope in something. And we do the same thing, don't we? We put our hope in all kinds of stuff. It might be, man, I just want a great Christmas season. I'm going to put my hope in that. I'm hoping my kids will come around, my grandkids will come around, right? It might be that, man, you're hoping in a relationship, right? Some of you are hoping and praying real hard for a new relationship. Lord, might he see me? Lord, might she see me for the very first time? You know, like, like you know, Christmas vacation where they find the perfect tree, you know, and the light shines down from heaven, might they see me? And like, you're placing hope in a new relationship, right? Might be a better job, a better 2022, a political party, a financial well-being, investments, bank accounts, some goals, plans that you have. We all put our hope in something. 
And not that there's anything wrong. Hear me, don't hear me wrong on this. There's not anything wrong with putting our hope in some of those things. But the problem and the challenge with those kinds of things that we put our hope in is that they're temporal. Every one of them will let you down. Every one of them will fall short. Every one of them won't get you the kind of long-term sustaining hope that you and I as human beings really hope for. In fact, hope is like a ladder. I used to be a painter. And uh, when I got out of college, I, I, uh, I took a job as a painter. And, uh, you know, like uh, well, you might call me a professional painter. I don't know what that means. I got paid to paint. So that makes me a professional. Didn't make me good, but it made me a professional, right? And, and I remember I used to paint houses. Uh, in fact, I painted some houses in Happy Valley and uh, on the west side and all over town, you know. And, uh, and I remember, you know, some houses, you know, I like the one-story houses that, you know, you can put a six-foot A-frame and then you can get the kind of, right? Well, we were painting some of these houses that the eaves of the house on the side of the house were like 30 feet in the air, you know? And I had to carry these big ladders and, uh, you know, kind of click, 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 you know, the ladder goes up. That's a terrible sound effect. But anyway, the ladder goes up and, uh, you know, you lean the ladder up against the wall. And I remember I would jump on the bottom, bottom step of the ladder and I'd rattle the ladder and shake the ladder. And I wanted to make sure that whatever that ladder was leaning against, was leaning against would not move. Because if whatever the ladder was leaning against would move, it wasn't going to end well for me. And hope is the same way. Because what you hope in will either, if it moves, if it shakes, if it's one of those things that just is not going to be stable, you're going to find yourself, when life crashes into what you're putting your hope in, life is going to get very difficult. Your joy is going to get stolen. You're going to find yourself in these places where it's like, God, I'd hoped and I've trusted, but man, it just didn't work out. And so it really does matter what we put our hope in. We got to lean our hope on something that's immovable. And so where do we find that kind of confident hope? The kind of hope that sustains us. It's long-term despite our circumstances. What we're looking for is an abiding, sustaining, non-anxious kind of hope that produces something in us that regardless of circumstances, man, I can continue to hope. I can continue to believe. Well, where do we find that kind of hope? Well, I'm so glad you asked me. You did ask, right? I, I swear I heard you ask. But this is what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're in church and we're approaching the Christmas season. So, of course, Jesus is the answer, right? Where do I find that kind of hope? Well, I find it in Jesus. He's the source of my hope that as I trust in him, I can have a confident hope. I would expect that answer from a pastor. Of course, that's what the Bible says. But how does the Christmas story help point us to this kind of hope? And what I want to do this morning is I want to go back to the Old Testament. There's a passages of, there's a few verse, or sorry, a few chapters in Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 7 to Isaiah chapter 11. And in those passages, they're known as the Messianic prophecies. And something was going on in Israel and Judah during that time that God was using as a backdrop when he then, through Isaiah, prophesied about what would happen in the future, and then what happens in the future, which is the Christmas story, is this juxtaposition, this kind of compare and contrast to what was actually happening back during the time of Isaiah. 
And so this morning might feel like a funny place to start the Christmas story, but I want us to go back 3,000 years in history to Isaiah chapter 7. And what was happening in Isaiah chapter 7 is that Israel and Judah, man, they've, they've kind of split from one another, right? They're, they're no longer a unified nation. They're a divided nation. Israel's to the north. Judah's to the south. And you have um, a nation of Judah who had a good king, um, and, and the good king kind of brought the people back to God, and they rebuilt the temple, and they were worshiping God. They were trusting God, but he passed away, and his son, a guy by the name of Ahaz, took over. Ahaz was an evil king. Ahaz didn't trust God. Ahaz broke down the temple. He desecrated it. He led, he led Judah into idolatry. He worshiped other gods. In fact, he was so in on worshiping other gods that he actually sacrificed his own kids to these idols. This guy is not a good guy. This guy was corrupt, and he turned away from God. Merry Christmas, everybody. Just feels like a great Christmas story, doesn't it? And, and what we find in this story is that Ahaz, this is about 735 BC, before Christ, before Christ would come in the first Christmas. This guy Ahaz in 735 had totally turned his back on God. And now he was finding himself in a bit of bother. Because what had happened was the Assyrians, which was like the superpower nation of that day, was, oh, was rampaging throughout the Middle East and was overtaking nations. And they were conquering those nations and making those nations subservient to them. And their, their footprint was just enlarging throughout this territory. And so Israel to the north thinks, man, how can we, how can we save ourselves? I mean, this Assyrian nation is coming against us. And so as Israel forms an alliance with Aram and some other nations. And they're trying to now do the same thing. They're trying to conquer other nations. Well, guess who's in the middle of this battle? Judah. And you have Assyria trying to attack. You have Israel that looks like it's going to attack. Ahaz is this evil king, and he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? I've got these two nations that are about to fight over me. They're going to fight to conquer me, to conquer my people. What am I going to do? And so Ahaz, being kind of a shrewd man, he reckons that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so he goes to the Assyrians. He makes this plan that he's going to go to the Assyrians and he's going to form an alliance with the Assyrians. You know, that's not going to work out super well, but he's going to go and form this alliance with the, Assyri with the Assyrians. And that way, Israel and Aram and those other nations won't be able to attack because big brother's standing behind him. And so this is what he's planning to do. But before he can do it, the Lord interrupts him. And the Lord interrupts him in Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 7. And he says this, to Isaiah, God says, say to him, Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. You ever been in a situation, you know, you're like, you know, you're facing some challenge, you know, maybe you're a business owner and something's coming against you, or maybe you're fine, and you, you know, it's just like, I'm not afraid of these two smoldering or smoldering stubs of firewood. Just seems like a kind of a strange thing, right? But, but what God is trying to say to Ahaz, and what we have to notice here is Ahaz is an evil king who has turned his back on God, but God hasn't turned his back on Ahaz. And God comes to Ahaz. God interrupts Ahaz's plans. God 
taps him on the shoulder, shows up in that moment, initiates a conversation. Ahaz hadn't been praying, wasn't looking to God for any answers, but God shows up in that moment with a promise. And what he offers to Ahaz is, let let me, God, deliver you from your enemies. And then he goes on and he says this, not only will I deliver you from your enemies, but I'll be present with your people. Man, that sounds like a pretty good deal to take. God who created everything is offering to defeat your enemies, is offering to be present with your people. If I'm Ahaz, I'm taking that deal all day long. But Ahaz is an evil king. And Ahaz chooses to turn his back on God, chooses not to take the deal. And this is how good God is. Because God doesn't offer it once. God doubles down on the offer. And this is what God says to Ahaz in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Okay, what's the sign? Is it like an army? Is it angels? Is it, what is it? What's the sign? And here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Meaning, God with us. And and what's happening here is that God is showing up, offering himself to Ahaz, an evil king who has turned his back on God. He's offering himself to him. He says, trust me and believe the promise that I've given. And Ahaz has this choice now. Will he dare to believe God? Will he dare to trust God? Will he dare to believe the promises? Or will he trust in his own circumstances And the power of an evil nation that's trying to attack him. And in this story, what we see taking place here is that Ahaz, he's got to disregard the strength of his enemies. He's got to not put, uh, put his hope in human strength and alliances. But he's got to put his hope in God's word and God's promise. Hey, Ahaz, will you trust me? Will you believe my promise to you? And I think that same word echoes to every single human being today. Hey, will you trust me? Susie, John, Bob, Mary, will you trust me and believe my promises to you? Well, we know the story because it's recorded there in Isaiah 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 that Ahaz chooses not to trust God. Ahaz turns his back on God, turns his back on that promise, turns his back on the opportunity to trust God, to defeat his enemies, to believe the promise and have the presence of God be with him and his people. And what we find is that Ahaz becomes a vassal king and and Judah becomes a vassal nation. They're subservient to other nations for some 700 plus years because of the decision that Ahaz made not to trust God and his promise. But how many of you know God never forgets his promise? And against this backdrop, Fast forward 735 years. God never forgot his promise. And he actually fulfills his promise to his people in the birth of Jesus. He fulfills this promise some 700 years later. And there would be another character introduced into God's story who wouldn't be like Ahaz, not trusting God, not believing his promise. But in the simplicity of her life, she would trust God and believe his promises. Mary, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it's recorded that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Um, the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her, uh, sorry, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored of the Lord. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do you remember the words of the prophet to Ahaz? Be calm. Don't be afraid. Right? I want to be with you. He's saying all the exact same words to Mary in this setting. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Judah's kingdom might have been enslaved for some 700 plus years, but God never forgot his promise. And God says, no, 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 the one that I'm sending, the very son of God who's leaving the majesty and splendor of heaven, his kingdom will never end. And how will this be, Mary said to the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And what I want you to see here is that there was a promise that was made some 735 years previous. And Ahaz chose not to trust God, not to believe the promise. But God would remain faithful. God would not forget his word. God would not forget his promises because to do so would be for him to violate his very character and nature, the very essence of who he is. But God is a, person, is, is a God who keeps his promises. And God shows up to this teenage girl hidden in obscurity in a little town called Nazareth of Galilee. And God shows up and says, you're highly favored of the Lord. It was such a shock to her that she's like, she's like bewildered by what does this greeting even mean? How could I be favored? How could I be the one that God would see and want to use in this kind of scenario? But you see, God never forgets his promises. And one of the things that I want us to see this morning is that there was a choice that both characters, Ahaz and Mary, had to make. Ahaz made a choice not to trust God, not to believe the promise. But in the face of ridicule, in the face of fear, in the face of what seemed like craziness for this teen, unwed teenage girl, she chose to believe and trust God and believe the promises. She had to disregard the shame and the societal risk of having a baby out of wedlock. Wedlock. She had to disregard the persecution and the death threats that would come from Herod the Great once the wise men told him about the Messiah. They had to dare to trust God that they could not see and this promised baby boy when others would think, she's just crazy. How is she giving birth to this promised Messiah? But you see, Mary and Joseph knew who God was. They trusted who he is and they believed his promise to them. In fact, here's what's so powerful. Mary records this powerful prayer, this praise to God after this happens in Luke chapter 1. If you skip down to Luke chapter 1, and just look at verse 46, 47. It says this, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, God was showing up to be a rescuer for Ahaz, but Ahaz turned his back on God. God is showing up to be a rescuer for Mary. 
And Mary's response is, I praise you. I trust you. I believe in you. And so this good, powerful, yet humble God is drawing near to his people to rescue them. And so the question that we're trying to answer was, well, how does this Christmas story, how does it help point us to this kind of hope? The kind of hope that would cause us to respond by saying, Lord, I trust you and I believe your promises to me. And there's three really simple points that I want to just draw out from Mary's prayer. And the first thing is simply this. How does this Christmas story help us with this kind of hope? Number one, God sees you. God sees you. Even though Ahaz had turned his back, even though Ahaz had sacrificed his children, which was a complete abomination to God and the rule of God on the planet, even though that's what Ahaz had done, God noticed Ahaz. Even though Mary, a soon-to-be pregnant teenager, hidden in obscurity in the Middle East, even though she was maybe a nobody, God saw Mary. In fact, this is what it actually says. Look what it says. It says in, uh, in verse 48, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. God saw Ahaz. God saw Mary. God sees you. You're noticed by God. And it might be that, man, you're just sitting in this room and kind of maybe feeling overwhelmed, maybe feeling like, I don't even know if God sees me. And God's word to you this morning is the words that he spoke to Ahaz. Hey, be careful, be calm, do not be afraid. Hope in me. God sees you. There's this beautiful passage uh, in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is talking about, he's talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, he says if five sparrows are sold for a penny, God does not forget them. Seems like kind of a strange thing, but you think how numerous and inconsequential sparrows are. I mean, they're tiny little birds and there's probably millions, if not billions of them around. But if five of them are sold for a penny, your heavenly father notices them. And then he goes on and he says this in verse seven. He says, you know what? Your heavenly father knows the numbers of hairs on your head. In other words, you're not forgotten. God's noticed you. God sees you. And you might be sitting here this morning going, I don't know if God sees me. I don't know if God knows. Does God even know what I'm going through? Have you seen the last 18 months, the last two years, God, of my life? God, do you even see me? Do you even notice me? God sees you. God notices you. You're not forgotten by God. God didn't forget Ahaz and his people in Judah. God didn't forget Mary. He saw her. He noticed her. And not only did he see her and noticed her, he says, I want to invite you into my story and into my plan for you. God sees you and God knows you. I love this verse. And it's such a famous verse that we oftentimes don't get the context. But in Jeremiah 29, 11, the children of Israel are about to be led into captivity for 70 years. And God speaks this word to them. And he says, look, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so even in the midst of our challenges, even in the midst of our difficulties, even in the midst of those chaotic seasons that don't make sense, we can have hope because God's in the midst of it with us. God sees you. God notices you. But the second thing we recognize from this, this Christmas story and what ought to give us fuel, the hope, that kind of consistent, long-term, sustaining kind of hope in us 
is not only does God see you, God is with you. Wasn't that the promise that he made to Ahaz? Not just that I will defeat your enemies, but I will be present with you and your people. And God shows up to Mary and he says, you're going to give birth to Emmanuel, which actually means God with us. God has not forgotten his people. God has not ignored his people. God has remembered his promise. And here at Christmas time, we remember the fact that God through his son, Jesus Christ, shows up to be with us. Mary, it says in chapter 1, verse 49, for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Even though they were under in captivity, under Roman rule, God had not forgotten his promise to his people. And it's important for us to remember that it's not just that God sees you, but God is actually with you. The Christmas season, the Christmas story is a story of God being with humanity. God leaving the splendor of heaven, right? So that we could be with him. And I love the fact that, that you and I, this Christmas story ought to fuel this idea that we're not alone. There's this amazing story. I love this. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Jesus has fed the 5,000 people. This is in Matthew chapter 14. I encourage you to go read it. But in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has fed 5,000. It's probably 20,000 people because it's 5,000 men, right? So if you consider women and children, I mean, there's like this ridiculous miracle that has just taken place. Jesus has satisfied the hunger, the physical hunger that is in this mass crowd that's gathered to hear him speak. And, and you'd think, I mean, if you're like, you know, if you're like a marketing guy, you know, you're into branding, like 20,000 people, you've just fed them all. Like that's when you do your sales pitch. Not Jesus. Jesus takes the 12 disciples and he sends them into a, he puts them in a boat and he says, listen, I want you to get to the other side of the lake. Now you guys know the story because you've read your Bible, right? But in Matthew chapter 14, they go in this boat, they're heading out towards the, you know, the other side of the lake. And you know, it's like in the middle of the night and there's this massive storm that's come up and, and there's been tossed to and fro. I mean, it must've been pretty serious because these were expert fishermen, many of them, and they were being tossed to and fro, terrified that they might not survive the storm. Well, after Jesus sends these guys out in the boat, it says this, it says that Jesus goes up onto a mountain that overlooks the hills, overlooks the lake, sorry. And he's up in this mountain and he's praying to his heavenly father. He's spending time with them. He's watching over the lake. And you know the story because Jesus, it says he comes down from the mountain and he goes on, he walks on the water and he comes to the boat. And the point that I love about this story is that not just that God sees you from afar, but the fact that God comes to you in the middle of your storm. The God who watches over you is the same God that comes to you in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your chaos, just like he did with the disciples in the middle of the lake. And I love this because this is the essence of the Christmas story. This is what gives me the kind of hope that I don't have to be fearful and wonder how to, how to live life. Will there be a possibility of a better tomorrow? You better believe there will because God doesn't just see you. God comes to you. You're not alone. And it says this in Psalm 62, 5 and 6. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 
Ahaz was shaken because he didn't receive the God who came to him. Mary sings a song and a praise, a prayer of praise to God because she receives a God who doesn't just see her. She receives the God who comes to her. We can have hope because God sees us. God comes to us. But the last thing is this. We can have hope because it's God who gives us courage. Look what she prayed in verse 55. For the he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. She was rehearsing and remembering that it wasn't just that God sees. It wasn't just that God comes to be with. But God actually gives us the courage. He gives us all that we need to see those promises fulfilled. And the reality is that God sees you. God has come to be with you. And God is the one who strengthens and gives you courage. You know, it's interesting, going back to that story of the disciples in the lake. When Jesus comes to the boat, he calms the storm. And there were a few words that he said to him. He said this, take heart. Hey, guys, take heart. What he literally means is, guys, be courageous. Well, how can you be courageous? I'm here. Jesus is here with you. You can be courageous now. And, and it's an echo of a word that was spoken over a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Joshua. Joshua had just taken over from Moses. And you remember, as he's being called to lead the children of Israel now into the promised land, Jesus, God speaks to Joshua and he says this. He says, I want you to be strong and courageous. And, and literally, the word picture that that Hebrew pre teaches is this idea of a little sapling. Because Joshua was, couldn't be strong in his own strength. He couldn't take the children of Israel into, his, into the promised land in his own strength. And the picture that's painted is of this little sapling that would be tossed and blown around by the storms of life that would come that way. But a stake gets driven into the ground. And that little sapling gets bound to the stake. Where is the sapling drawing its strength from? Self or the stake? It's, dry, it's drawing it from the stake, isn't it? The strength that it needs to stand, the strength that it needs to grow, the strength that it needs to advance and move forward isn't found in itself. It's found in what it's attached to and what it's bonded to. And this is what God's trying to help us understand through the Christmas story. It's not just that God sees you. It's not just that God you know, comes to be with you. It's that in being with you, God actually gives you the strength and the courage that you would need to stand. And this is why Timothy wrote in verse, chapter 4 of, uh, of his first letter, he says this, this is why we labor and strive. How is it that I'm able to take another step forward? How is it that we're able to keep advancing? How is it that we're able to move into the future with the possibility that can be better than ever? Well, the Christmas story would tell us, and, P and Timothy says the same thing here, the reason why we're able to labor and to strive and to keep moving forward is because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. And this is the power of the Christmas story that allows you and I to hope like never before. We don't need to be like Ahaz and not trust God, not believe the promises, but we can be like Mary, and we can trust God is who he says he is, that God sees you, that God knows you, that God has come to be with you. And in coming to be with you, God 
gives you the courage and the strength that you and I need to move forward in his plans and in his purposes. And so what I'd love for us to do as we just wrap this up this morning is for us just to stand to our feet. We're going to sing a song in a minute. But I think this is the kind of story that kind of demands a response from us. And I want you just to, as you're standing, even just close your eyes. I want you just to lock yourself in with Jesus for a moment because Jesus is our living hope. Jesus sees you. Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to give you the courage, the strength that you need, number one, to trust him, number two, to follow him, and number three, to live out the story that he's got planned for you. Might not feel that way in the circumstances that you might find yourself in right now, but it doesn't change the fact that God is who he said he is. He's not a man that he should lie, but he fulfills his promises to us. And it might be in this moment that, man, you've just felt like, man, I don't know if God sees me. God sees you. God, God give the same sign to every human being. You want to know, does God love you? Does God see you? He sent his son Jesus to come and abide with you. He's the one that would live the life we could never live. We never will live it. He lived a perfect life without sin, goes willing to the cross, so that you and I could have that relationship, could have that kind of life. We call it abundant life, according to John 10.10. 10. This is what Jesus comes to offer every single one of us. This is the beauty of the Christmas story, that you're not alone. You don't have to try in your own strength, but Jesus, by his grace, is giving you an offer today. Will you trust me and believe my promise to you? Or do you want to continue on in your own strength? like Ahaz, believing in your own circumstance and your own ability to try and overcome. That's the choice. That's the choice the Christmas story presents us with. And so this morning, as we wrap this up, I want to give you the opportunity just to respond. Some of you, it's going to be for the very first time. You're just responding and saying, Jesus, I want that. I want to trust you. I want to believe you. I want to receive that kind of promise. I know you see me. I feel it in my heart this morning. God wants to come into your heart. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to give you a new kind of life, a new kind of existence, one that's not dependent upon yourself and your own strength, but one that's dependent upon him. This is the invitation of Christmas. And so if that's you this morning, I want to give you that opportunity just to slip your hand up to heaven and say, Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to, I want to trust you for the very first time. I want my life to be your life. And if that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. So Lord, this morning, as we stand in your presence, Lord, we receive the gift of forgiveness, the gift of new life. Lord, your word tells us that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. And not only do you take all of our sin, but you impute and give to us all of your righteousness. Lord, we are made right in your sight because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we are now new creatures, new believers, new people, new children, adopted into the family of God because of your act of forgiving us. 
what you've done on the cross. Man, there are some of us in this room this morning that you are just, I almost want to say you feel like you're facing hell on earth. It feels like you're backed into a corner and just, man, God, are you ever, do you see me? God, are you with me? I feel like Judah kind of backed into a corner, enemies all around. And I believe the Lord wants to touch you right now. I believe the Lord wants you to know, I see you. I want to be with you. But I don't want to just see you and be with you. I want to give you the courage, the grace, the strength, the wisdom that you need to see your way out of this situation. He will lead you as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's the one that leads us. And so if that's you this morning and you're simply saying, man, I need, I need God to intervene in my life right now. I need him to move in a circumstance, a situation. You're going through something. And I just want you to slip your hand up to heaven this morning. It's simply saying, God, I'm active faith. I'm trusting you today. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That the Christmas story reminds us that you see us. Even in those dark places, even in those obscure places, even in those places where we feel like, how am I ever going to get out of this situation? You see us. You don't just see us. You come to be with us. You don't just come to be with us. You give us all that we need to overcome, all that we need to see our way through this. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that need that touch from you this morning, that you would minister to them, touch them. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's worship and just sing this song as a prayer as we close.